Please turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Now, we're going to progress on to verse 13 today. And uh, let me just say that it's probably going to take two sessions to get through this verse because it is such a powerful verse. Uh, it has so much in it. And I don't want you to miss anything, okay? <laughs> so um, in verses 13 through 18, following the startling revelation that we are God's answer to man's need to see him, the Apostle John now turns his attention to strengthening the spiritual confidence of the believer. I want you to listen to those words. Strengthening the spiritual confidence of the believer. That is strengthening you spiritually, okay? Your confidence for this incredible task. And of course, that also um, applies to that final day of judgment when we're standing before God, amen? And the way that he does this, according to Thomas F. Johnson, uh, is that the Apostle John passes from the facts to the Christian's consciousness of the facts. In other words, there are things that are factual. There are, there are things that are true, but whether you know them or not, that's a big difference. You know, that's a whole other thing. Uh, remember again that Jesus said that it is, you know, when he said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. In other words, he tells us that it is the truth that you know that sets you free. Amen. And so the Apostle John is trying to get us from just truth to knowing the truth. <laughs> Amen. For yourself. Hallelujah. And so once again, uh, Thomas F. Johnson again says that the Apostle John passes from the facts to the Christian's consciousness of the facts. He appeals, first of all, to the indwelling spirit. We're going to look at that today. That is a powerful thing, okay? Uh, and then he goes on to look at the Father's sending of the Son to save them, which is another very powerful truth. Then, that's in verse 14, then to their confession of faith in Jesus as the Son of God, that is verse 15, then to God's love for them, that's a very powerful thing again, we looked at that before, we're going to come back to it, in verse 16, all as a means by which love is perfected among them. Remember that it is us showing God's love, which is what we saw in verse 12, which is the way we let people know He's alive and lives in us. Amen. And uh, the result will be, he says, he concludes, he says, the result will be fearless confidence on the day of judgment. Amen. See, once, we, once we're in this position where we have knowledge of this and we have an understanding of this and we have a revelation of this, then we can stand before the throne of God in confidence. Amen. Hallelujah. With our head held high. Amen. Our head, heads held high. So in other words, in the verses that follow, even though each verse has some tremendous revelations contained in them, amen, when we look at it all uh, from an overall perspective, all right, they're all there to help us to get to the place where we do become God's answer to man's need to see him. So all of this is to get you to where you become the answer, okay, to people's need. Not only just to see God, but let me just go one step further to also get the blessing of God into their life as well as you pray for them. Amen? All right. So that we could, and, and, but we need to get to that place where we too can say, just like Jesus did, if you've seen us, you've seen the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's begin our journey into this fascinating study with the Apostle John writing in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because, watch this now, 
He has given us of his spirit. Now, I want you to notice the apostle John says that he knows. He doesn't guess, all right? He says, by this we know. I want you to say, I know, all right? See, saying that lets you know something very definite, okay? He says, by this we know. This is a faith statement, all right? He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he abides in us. Watch this, he says, because he has, he has given us of his spirit. Amen. In his commentary, Thomas F. Johnson writes, the author presents a second way to know that we have a mutually indwelling relationship with God. Okay, that is that he dwells in us and we dwell in him. All right. The first was by loving one another. Remember again that that was the first thing that assured us of his presence in our life and, and also that we belong to him. It was the way that we loved each other. Amen. All right. And this, here he says, it is by his spirit which he has given us. The same ground was also cited in 1 John 3.24. There the verb emphasized the once for all nature of the gift of the spirit. In other words, in, in that verse, it told us that once God has, had given us that gift, he wasn't going to take it back. But in this verse, it brings out another aspect of that same truth where he says here in 1 John 4.13, the perfect verb emphasizes the Spirit's continuing uh, presence. Okay, in other words, he's saying as much as he was given to us and God wasn't going to take him away from us, now he comes at it from a different angle and says, do you understand that that means that the Spirit is with you always? <laughs> Amen? He, his presence is with you all the time. Hallelujah. So once we believe or receive the Holy Spirit, he was there to stay. Amen. So what Jesus promised in John chapter uh, 14 verses 16 and 17 was something that would be everlasting and never change. Now, if you don't remember what that was, that's where he said, uh, this is John chapter 14 verse 16. He says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Jesus didn't say, well, he might, depending on how he feels. <laughs> okay. He said he will. I want you to see that he will give you another helper. And you did receive that helper. Family, if you're going through some difficult times right now, please remember this, that the Spirit of God is with you right now. Amen? You are not alone. He is your comforter. He is your counselor. He is your guide, and so on and so forth. So again, he says he will give you another helper that he may abide with you just for a little while, you know, while he feels like it or while you're behaving. No, <laughs> thank God it didn't see, if you're reading, you're going, hang on, Pastor, it didn't say that. Yeah, I know it doesn't say that, all right? But that's how people think. I want you to know this, that he says that he may abide with you forever. Forever. Amen. Again, he's abiding presence, okay? And verse 17, he says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, see, this is just for you. Aren't you so privileged? All right. He says that whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. People that are not saved are spiritually dead. So they have no uh, awareness of the spirit. Did you, did you all get that? Okay. So he says again, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you. Listen. And he says, and will be in you in other words he doesn't he's not only going to come to dwell with you but he's jesus says that there's coming a time where the spirit of god will be dwelling 
in you. Hallelujah. We're living in that time now. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. And following his, his resurrection, he brings it, this up again. He says, this is why, because it was so important. We can understand now with the apostle John lists this first on the list of things that he is going to go through. Because Jesus made sure that they understood the importance of the Holy Spirit in their life. Amen. And so following his resurrection, again, Jesus brings this up again when he says in now in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, he says, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. In other words, Jesus said, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you receive power from on high. Amen. All right. So notice that Jesus put such a huge emphasis on receiving the spirit of the, the, the presence of the Spirit in their life before they step out to do anything. Can I say the same thing to you? Please make sure that the Spirit of God is present in your life before you step out and do anything. Anything of significance. Can I say that? Okay. Don't make any decisions or anything like that before you consult with God. All right. And His Spirit will give you that connection and let you know you will be led by the Spirit in those things. And family, you don't want to make a mistake. Listen to me. You don't want to make a mistake that you're going to be paying for years and years and years to come because of one decision. Let me say one bad decision. <laughs> all right? You want those decisions to all be good. You know, we, we might get half right and half wrong for little things that don't matter so much. But for some things, please take the time. Listen to me. Take the time. Make the time to spend time with God. Make the time to talk to him. Make the time to hear from him. Amen? So you can hear from him. I should say it that way. All right. Uh, let's continue on. So notice the importance Jesus places, places on this. In essence, he says again, don't do anything until you are divinely equipped and empowered. Divinely equipped and empowered. Okay? We're going to talk about both of those things later on when we look at the manifestations. They call them the gifts of the Spirit, but they really call, they really should be called the manifestations of the Spirit. It's the same Spirit manifesting nine different ways. All right? But we're going to look at that later on and understand what, you know, Jesus was talking about and what the Apostle John was talking about. Now, you, you know, let me just say this right now. You don't think the Apostle John didn't walk in all of the gifts of the Spirit in his life, do you? Okay, you know, people say, well, they had it, but it's not for us. No, no, no. It's for everyone. The problem is we don't believe it today. That's what the problem is. Or we are not aware of its working in our life. I'll talk about that as well when I get to it. I hope I remember to do that. <laughs> okay, sometimes I make you promises and I forget. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to do that. All right. But anyway, so, uh, and you know, this was of such great importance that he says, Jesus says to them again, this time in Acts chapter 1. So from Luke 24, 49, we now go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, where uh, Luke records Jesus saying, For John truly baptized with water. Now I want you to notice, he's going to make a distinction between water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They are not the same. Some people say, well, you have to be water baptized. That's when the Spirit comes. No, no, no. Listen, Jesus makes a distinction here. He says, listen, I know John baptized with water, but there's something 
greater, of even greater significance and importance that you need. You, you, you need more than the water, and there's nothing wrong with that. Please, if you need to be water baptized, by all means, I'll do it, okay, <laughs> all right? But if you need to be water baptized, that's fine. But there is some, don't, please don't miss out on this. Don't think you, you know, you got water baptized and that's the end of it. No, Jesus is making a distinction here where he says, watch, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he says, you are going to receive another baptism. As much as John baptized his with water, I'm going to baptize you who are mine with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen? And this is a powerful thing. Then he goes on to say, just a couple of verses from there, in verse 8 he says, but you shall receive power. Watch this. This is the reason why he says you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because he says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you get this now? He's saying, in other words, you need this power to do what I'm calling you to do. Amen. And he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Yeah, amen. He got to Australia. <laughs> okay, we're at the end of the earth. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> okay. But I want you to notice the progression uh, putting all the joking aside, the progression, it's from Jerusalem, that's the center of where all this began, and then it goes outward, and it was meant to go out to all the world. And praise God, it did. Amen. So we understand now why Jesus is so adamant that we do nothing without the Holy Spirit, because it was the first thing that he himself received before he began his public ministry. So I want to take you there. I want to show this to you uh, in Luke chapter 3. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. I'm going to be reading in verses 21 through 23 because I don't want you to take my word for this. I, I want to make a point here and I want to do it scripturally so you can actually see what's actually going on. Amen? That I'm just not making stuff up, all right, to suit myself or whatever. I am giving you facts. I'm showing you the progression. I am showing you what happened in Jesus' life before he stepped out in the ministry, and why he's saying for you, don't step out and do anything before you receive this same blessing. Amen? So in Luke chapter 3, in verse 21, it says that when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. I want you to notice that while he's being baptized, that he is praying. Everybody else kind of went in there, and they got wet, and they walked off. Okay, well, I wouldn't say everybody, but, you know, he, he was very purposeful in everything that he did. So he's at this point in time, he is praying while he's being baptized. And watch what happens. It says, the heaven opened up. The heaven was opened. It actually says in this verse. It says, the heaven was opened, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove. It didn't say the Holy Spirit came and it was, it was a dove. <laughs> okay. It said like a dove. So it's, this is again, you know, they had no point of reference or frame of reference. So they sort of said, well, if you looked at it and you kind of really looked at it, you'd kind of go, well, it kind of looks like a dove. But what the, the point of this is they could, phys they could, their physical eyes could see it. Do you understand? And it would look like a dove descending. All right. So he says again, then the Holy Spirit descended. Notice descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son. In you I'm well pleased. I could preach on all this. I'm not going to today. <laughs> okay. I was going to lose focus here. 
In verse 23, it says, now Jesus himself, listen, this is the verse I want to get to. He says, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. Do you see that he didn't begin his ministry until he received the Holy Spirit? Did you see that? The Holy Spirit descended and it says that uh, upon him and God spoke and only then did Jesus begin his ministry. Amen. And immediately following this, now uh, this, this, uh, this is of great significance. Immediately following this, we know that it says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, then Jesus, listen to these next few words, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? It says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He could be led because he was filled. All right. And the, the Spirit of God would never lead him into the wilderness until he was first filled. Family, let me just make a point here before I move on. The Spirit of God will never lead you into something that he hasn't first equipped and empowered you to handle. If you are going out there and getting in trouble, you need to check whether that's you wanting to do a good thing or whether it's God leading you, the Holy Spirit leading you to do a God thing. Do you all know the difference? You know, you can do good things and be out of God and get yourself in trouble. And in fact, get people that you're helping in trouble as well because there's no anointing, there's no grace, all right, there's no divine wisdom. Uh, you know, I just, I won't go any further, but make sure that whatever you do, that you're doing it in God, according to His plan, His purpose, and His timing. You know, we're always in such a hurry to go out and do stuff. Please listen to me. If you want to hurry to do something, hurry to get to prayer. <laughs> okay? Hurry to hear His voice. Hurry in those areas and know that He is God and before you step out. Otherwise, you're going to step out in the, in the flesh, not in the spirit, and it's going to cause problems. And then, I tell you, what's sad is, what's, what's sad is that people that do that then go, well, see, I tried to do something godly last time. See, they say godly, okay? Uh, and it didn't work. Family, that's because God never led you there. That you led you there. If God leads you somewhere, His presence will go with you. His power will go with you. His anointing will go with you. His wisdom will be there for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? I could keep going, but I think you get the point. Amen? Amen. So in this case, after being filled with the Spirit, now Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and we know what's going to happen next. Now, even though uh, I wouldn't normally look at these verses that follow in a study like this, because they're the epistles of John, there is something of great significance, family, that I need to bring to your attention. And that is, listen, the way that Jesus was led to and overcame every attack of the enemy only after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. There, there is a great truth in this. And why the Apostle John, again, puts this first in his list. Okay? All right. Also, it is important to note that this account is recorded in Matthew's gospel as well. And according to one other, uh, one notable, excuse me, and according to one notable scholar, it is believed that unlike Luke's account, Matthew retained the original order. So that's why we're going to go to Matthew's account 
and, and which is reflected in the logical progression of the temptation. That is from the desert floor to the pinnacle of the temple to the high mountain. Okay, do you see that? All right. And in descending order in, uh, of Jesus' quotations from Deuteronomy. Uh, and if you, were go to, if you were to look at all of that, uh, I'll just very quickly give you the references. You'll find that it begins in Deuteronomy 8.3. That's the equivalent to Matthew 4.4. Then it goes down to Deuteronomy 6.16. That is Matthew 4.7. And then down to uh, Deuteronomy 6.13. That's in Matthew 4.10. So the progression is more logical in Matthew's gospel. And I believe it was in the right order there. All right. Therefore, we will turn to that gospel for this particular section and come back to Luke's uh, gospel when we finish with this. Okay, following it. Uh, and just in case you're wondering why Jesus was led by the Spirit into this situation, I really love what Chuck Swindle says. All right, he answered it so well when he says, "Jesus went into the desert to confront his enemy." And throw down the gauntlet. <laughs> okay. See we all see Jesus. You know he kind of goes in the desert. And goes oh do I have to do this. Oh poor old me. I've been led by the spirit. To go do something really hard now. And you know. I, it's, it's just this is the life. Yes that's right. When you come to God. This is your life. It's a life of suffering. And everything else. And you know. Hey, listen man. We, we've got you know. This isn't an easy life. Okay. Let me say that. It is a life that you live by faith. Okay. Trust me every single day. All right. But as many battles as you have, the whole point of it is you are to overcome. Amen. Not, not be sitting there, poor old me. It'd be, where's the next mountain? Is that all you've got, devil? <laughs> okay. Those are the sort of things that should be coming out of your mouth. And so, you know, Chuck Swindle brings this out so well when he says again, Jesus went into the desert to confront his enemy and throw down the gauntlet. All right. He would prove himself to be the legitimate shepherd of Israel by overcoming the temptation that had uh, undone all of Israel's previous kings. Remember, he is a king. Okay. Including his mighty ancestor, King David. I love that. It just really blesses me when I read that. All right. Additionally, remember that all, uh, all this only occurred, listen again, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's in Luke 4, 1 again, which is again what is so significant about all of this. This is why the reason I'm going, uh, you know, going into detail on this today. In that, even though he knew God's word, listen, this is so important now. Okay, are you listening? All right. Even though he knew God's word, it was the Holy Spirit's anointing on it that drove that mighty sword of the Spirit. Okay, I want you to notice something. You know, the Apostle Paul uses that in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. It is a brilliant term. Notice how he combines the word of God, which is the sword, and the spirit that is behind it, that anoints it, that empowers it. Amen? See, a lot of times people think if you just speak the word and speak the word and speak the word, and you know, Jesus talked about empty words. Jesus talked about people that would worship God, but their hearts were far from him. Can I say that you could be speaking the word of God, but your heart is far from it? You know, you're just parroting words, hoping in your mind that something is going to work. Whereas Jesus said, that's not, that's not the way this thing works. It, he said, remember in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, when he said, For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the ocean, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he says, believes, that those things which he says shall come to pass, then he'll have whatever he says. 
Do you understand that those are faith-filled, power-filled. Those are swords of the Spirit. Did you get that? I hope you got that. Anyway, I, I got to move on. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's continue on. And I, I, uh, again, I've said here in, in that even though he knew God's word, it was the Holy Spirit's anointing on it that, that drove that mighty sword of the Spirit uh, into the enemy and defeated him every single time. And that's what I really want you to see as we go through these verses. Hallelujah. So with all this in mind, let's read in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much of this I'm going to get through. We will do this. We will continue this next week, by the way. All right. Following uh, Jesus being filled with the Spirit and subsequently led by the Spirit into the wilderness again. Uh, it says there, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Of course you would be hungry. Okay. This kind of hunger, in fact, is not just a normal hunger. This kind of hunger talks about the body starting to eat, you know, turn on itself because it doesn't have sustenance from outside. This is dangerous. This is a dangerous place to be. This, this is a hunger that very few people, very few people know anything about. Okay. So don't, I don't want you to think, oh yeah, that's right. I, I remember I, I missed breakfast and lunch, you know, and I was hungry. I could eat a horse. It's not, that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> okay. You do that, you know, miss breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner, continue that 40 times. Now you know what this kind of hunger is. Okay. All right. And so he says again, <laughs> back to verse two, it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, watch how the devil waits till he's weak. Listen to me. The devil never plays fair. This is the reason why you need the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. Because when he comes, you need the Spirit of God to rise up in you. And so that when you speak the word, it is anointed and it will drive that sword of the spirit into the devil so that he doesn't hang around and harass you. Amen. Anyway, let's continue. It says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. <laughs> okay. And Jesus answered and said, well, I'll show you I'm the son of God. Watch this now. <laughs> we want to do that. You know, whenever we're tested or whenever we're challenged, I shouldn't say tested, whenever we're challenged in that way, we immediately go to God and say, all right, God, do something so that they can see that this thing is real. Go on, hurry up and do it. See, notice Jesus didn't do that. Another lesson. Anyway, all right, okay. And so, but Jesus answered and said, it is written. Wow. So here's the word of God and the anointing that that accompanies it is going to do the work that it needs to do. When he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You know, you need the Holy Spirit's anointing to speak stuff like this out in the strength that he's speaking it out after not eating for 40 days. Amen. Okay. All right. So he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, you know, I could preach on this, but let me just give you one quick uh, revelation. I want you to notice that Jesus lets us know that you can do without physical food, but you can't do without spiritual food. It's really sad how we make so much time to put physical food in our body and, you know, we feed ourselves a tiny little snack spiritually once a week or twice a week. 
and then we wonder why mountains aren't moving. Just a thought. Moving on. <laughs> okay. So, verse uh, 5. Oh, let, let me just say this. So, with this first anointed sword, Jesus defeats Satan. And so, it goes on to say, verse 5, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is very significant. He didn't just take him anywhere and stick him, you know, on any high building. It was the holy city. We're talking Jerusalem now. There is a significance to this. All right, listen. And he says, and said to him, this is in verse 6 now, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. In other words, he's saying, listen, man, there's no way you're going to die. Throw yourself off and let me tell you what's going to happen. All right, it's not here, but this is what's implied. The angels will stop you from, from, from you know, uh, uh, crashing into the earth. And people, listen, remember we're in Jerusalem, where all the priests are, on the highest point of the temple. Wouldn't this be a sign from God to all of these priests if Jesus launched off of there, okay? And the angels just brought him down. And they'll go, oh, because this is what they were looking for. Remember they said, show us a sign? And he said, you adulterous generation. You're always looking for signs, all right? So you know he's not going to come against what he's going to say later on. They would look up. This is what would happen. They would look up and go, my goodness, you must be God. You must be the son of God. We won't question anything from this day onward. That was a temptation, by the way. It wasn't just to launch himself off and see if you die or not. Okay? This was something incredible. It was, I can validate your ministry with just one swipe. And everybody can see that you truly are God. And stop all of the problems that are going to come in the future. When they're not going to believe you and ask you for this sign and that sign and everything else. Do you get this now? All right. All right. So <laughs> to, to all of this, verse 7 now, Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus said to him, it is written. I like it uh, uh, in the NIV. It actually says, it is also written. <laughs> okay. In other words, Jesus says, oh, you know scripture just enough to twist it. I know scripture to correct you with. Amen. Sadly, this is something that a lot of Christians don't carry in their arsenal. They know it is written, but they don't know it is also written. And so a lot of times the devil uses the word of God against Christians to lead them astray. Just like he was trying to get Jesus to do something that was out of God's will using God's word. Did you get what I just said? Be careful, family. Be careful. Okay. Just because you, you get a verse, please go and check with God that he actually gave you that verse. Amen. I'm just going to say that and leave it. All right. Because again, I don't have time here. All right. Moving on. I think I've already run out of time. So you know, I'm nowhere close to getting to where I need to get to with this. But I want you to see how Jesus is fighting this enemy with the word of God and with the fact that he was filled with the spirit. That's why you have to read the whole word of God, family. You can't just read all of this and say, see, Jesus said it is written, it is written, and then it worked. And then you go and go, it is written, and it didn't work. And you think, well, how come Jesus said it is written and I said it is written? And some theologian will come and say, well, you know, brother, well, sister, let me explain it to you. That was Jesus. You're just you. Don't expect the same thing to work for you. Well, that would not be fair for Jesus to tell us to do the same thing as he did if it was going to work for him and not for us. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
We need to look at what happened before he started uttering all of this. The fact that he was filled with the spirit before all of this began. And it was something that never left him. Amen? Okay. So, with that knowledge, he says, it is written, or it is all written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. <laughs> That's it, okay? He didn't give him a huge lecture. He didn't preach to him for six hours. You know, sometimes preachers like to do that, you know. They like to preach to the devil for six hours so that he gets tired and walks off, okay? No, Jesus just, with a few words, just cuts him down. And so... Once again, Jesus defeats Satan, this time with the anointed sword of it is also written. So following this humiliating defeat, <laughs> it goes in the same verse 8. The devil's getting defeated like he has never been defeated before. Family, let me just tell you something. The devil is used to attacking someone and something, some, someone coming against him and taking a very long time to get him off this person. To get him off the problem. I want you to know, I want you to see how Jesus, with a single word basically, okay, one sentence, two sentences just drives him out and shuts that thing down to where the devil has to go, go find something else now to use because that failed. Amen? <laughs> All right, okay. I also want you to notice that the devil just doesn't, just doesn't give up just because one thing fails doesn't mean he won't come at you with something else. Keep your guard up, okay? All right. Uh, I could quote you some scriptures. Peter talks about that, uh, about being on guard. But again, that will cause me to preach about other things. So let's continue on. <laughs> uh, and so verse 8, it says, And again, the devil took him up uh, uh, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Remember, Jesus came to save the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For, for what reason? To save them all, okay? So the devil is now gone from saying, all right, Jesus, you can be their Messiah to listen. I'll give you the whole world. You came to save the whole world. I can do it, except here's the string attached. You need to worship me. Okay, let's read it. All right, and he says again, uh, the devil again took him up to an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world and their glory. Uh, Matthew uh, 4 and verse 9. And he said to him, the devil said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Wow, <laughs> that's a temptation. Do you know what that means? You don't have to go to the cross. Ooh. Except I'm going to be your Lord. Wow, that's not going to work. Also, before I read Jesus' answer, I want to make you aware of a fact and that is Colossians chapter 1. I think it's verse 16. says, all things were created by him and for him. Talking about Jesus Christ. Which means the devil was created by him and for him. God created him perfect. Jesus created him perfect. And it says that iniquity was found in him. Now regardless of the fact that he fell, Jesus Christ was still the being that created him. Do you understand that? That's what I mean by he, they would still, he, Jesus was still his God. Do you understand? The thing, the person, not the thing, the person that created him, the being that created him. So I want you to think about that with the, uh, when, when I read you the answer that Jesus gives. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. Oh, as Luke puts it, I like in Luke's account, he says, get behind me, Satan. All right. He says, for it is written, listen, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. There's a twofold meaning in this. 
First, Jesus said, I'm not going to worship you. I know who I'm worshiping and that is God the Father. There's no question about that. Also, by the way, I'm the one that created you. And you should be worshiping me, not tempting me. Hallelujah. Did you get that? Jesus knew where his worship was. The devil didn't. It's sad how fallen men don't know to worship God. And I'll leave you with that. Okay? Hallelujah. And so this time, Jesus defeats Satan by putting him in his place with the anointed sword of get behind me or get thee behind me, Satan. Which most Christians are afraid to utter for fear of antagonizing the devil. Let me just say on the other side, if these words aren't coming from the spirit, then it's best not to utter them. <laughs> okay? Like, let me just say this because, you know, some people get mad at people, you know, and sort of say to them, well, why didn't you rebuke the devil? Listen, if you know that you're not up to the place where you can do this and trust God to look after you, it's a life, I told you, it's a life of faith, family. It's not faith on, faith off. It's faith on all the time, all right? And, and that's not a hard thing to do. It's a simple trust in God. Please, you know, when I say that, don't, don't make, uh, don't think, oh, my Lord, I don't think I can be in faith all the time. No, it's the simple trust in God. The simple trust that God, you will look after me regardless of what happens. At the end of the day, I'm your child. At the end of the day, my life is in your hands. At the end of the day, whatever the devil tries to do, he's got to get through you before he gets to me. That's it. That's the faith. That's it. That's the end of that. All right? Amen. That's what I mean. All right. But sad to say, there are a lot of Christians, you know, that are afraid to utter these words because they don't want to upset the devil. They don't want to antagonize him because God only knows what all will happen. And like I said, and what I started to say, if you're not in that place, then okay, you know what? Uh, choose your battles <laughs> and make sure that you're not diving into something that you're not equipped for and empowered for. That's why I said always go back to God. Back to God. Always back to God. Check with Him before you say or do anything. But in this case, Jesus knew His authority and He says and He defeats the devil with get thee behind me, Satan. All right? Praise God. All right. Uh, and so, it, 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 you know, in doing that, Jesus was basically telling the devil, I will have nothing more to do with you. You know, when he says, get thee behind me, means I'm not listening to you anymore. We'd go talk to the hand. No, no, not even that. Okay, don't even let me, don't even give him your hand to talk to, all right? He just says, get thee behind me, which means I'm done with you. And that's why it says, then the devil left him. Well, what, what else could he do? He's been defeated on, in, in, on every turn. Jesus just, with the word and the spirit, being filled with the spirit, he spoke the word and the devil had absolutely no defense against it. Do you get this? Hallelujah. I've run so out of time. Uh, I'm going to have to leave it here, but let me just conclude by saying this. Verse 11, it says again, Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Again, remember, this only happened after Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And why the full life study Bible says that without the Holy Spirit... And the proper use of God's word, remember it is also written, the proper use of God's word, the Christian cannot overcome sin and temptation. Hallelujah. Now we're going to leave it there. And when we come back, I'm going to continue on from that point and move on to uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, where Jesus then announces after having defeated the devil with this, 
he comes now and begins his ministry and he's going to say the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And we're, we're going to leave it there, okay? <laughs> Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. And we thank you, Father, that we understand as the Apostle John is bringing this truth to us. 